You may not have to play all morning, but do stay with me a minute. Are you glad that uh, you've been given an opportunity to be in the house of God? The alternatives are not attractive. And uh, I think I've said this in your hearing before. I used to make uneducated comments about church and say how glad uh, I am that uh, I chose to be in the house of God today. And then a year or so ago, the Lord took me through a re-education process and very kindly but forcefully Brother Barr reminded me that I'd have no choice had he not been willing to go to a cross and um, just reminded me over again that because he went to a cross, I had an opportunity to make a choice and I am, uh, I cannot tell you how humbled I am to know that he cared enough about me Oh, God, even before creation, he cared enough about me to be willing to go to a cross, lay himself down, and let them drain his life from his body for me. Not knowing necessarily from one week to the next what my life is going to be and what's going to come and fly all the time and I read the news just like you do airplanes disappear and I have no idea I have no idea he's never told me how long I'm going to live he's never told me that I would not go out of this world by a plane crash he's never told me any of that and from one week or day to the next I have no idea what's coming what I do know beyond the shadow of all doubt is that whatever it is that does come, I have been given an opportunity to choose every single solitary day of my life to serve Him. And I am going to do my very best to say yes to Him every day. Your life, my life, full of uncertainties. My God, we never know what's coming from one day to the next. Change comes on our jobs, at the church, in our families, in our diet. I thought I was going to be skinny my whole life. What a shocker. But through it all, that one thing that remains consistent is the love of God, the grace of God, the will of God, God's purpose in me. And even though I didn't even though I didn't turn out weighing what I thought I would, I know, I know you healthy people could tell me I still have time. But hey, at this point, we'll do what we can, but we're not going to just really... There are cinnamon rolls yet to be eaten. Hallelujah. There's buffets I hadn't been to yet. Chevy's is waiting on me now. But I have a choice.
I have a choice to serve him. I have a choice to let him love me or not let him love me. And I think, I think it would behoove me to let him. The bishop made a statement one time privately to me, and he said it to you, I know, and he was preaching. And he made this statement. He said, God don't love everybody. Well, when he said it, I looked over at him and I thought, now, Bishop, how's that even possible? And then he went on to explain that love is something you do, not, not an emotion you have. And there are some people that just won't let God love them. And I can either spend my life trying to figure out whether or not I deserve it. That's not my problem. He decided you deserved it. He decided I deserved it. I hadn't earned it. And if I was getting from God what I had earned, what I have with him would be a lot less than what it is. I can't earn it. My birthright mandates certain benefits and privileges in the body. And I fully intend to take all advantage of what God wants me to be and do and have in the kingdom. And I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about things that are of a spiritual nature. You can seat yourself after you've hugged somebody and one more time giving God a round of applause. change things change (laughs) things really change when I was in my 20s I had to have reading glasses and um, one night before church I couldn't find them and so I prayed and I said Lord you need to help me find my glasses because I can't I couldn't read anything from the pulpit to my face and the Lord spoke to me and he said well I'll tell you what I'll give you a choice I'll either tell you where they are or I'll take your need for them away I said well they're waiting on me now so do whatever you got to do between here and that pulpit and I took off running and I, I had not needed glasses again until all truth be told last year and uh, I noticed one night Sister Alders, I was reading my phone like this. And I didn't really notice it until my cheek got tired. And um, my wife mentioned something to me about my eyes, and I said, oh, I'm fine. And uh, so months later, I'm still reading my phone a lot like this. And now I can see fine at distances. I wasn't doing that to read that away, but here I was one eye, and I thought, well... My right eye is just tired. So I went to an eye doctor, a friend of ours, and he read off, when he got through checking me, he read off some Greek word, and he said, this is what's wrong with your eyes. And in the Greek, it means you've got the eyes of an old man. <laughs> I said, oh, hold on with all that now. <clears throat> but things change. I want to 
read something to you in Acts chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1, verse number 4. You can stay seated. There's, there's, we're just going to briefly read through here. Thank you, though. And being assembled, uh, verse number 4, together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Everybody say, don't go anywhere. It's amazing to me how many supernatural things follow statements similar to that in the scripture. Jesus said, if you'll get in this boat with me and cross over. Now, he never told them what the condition of the boat would be when they got over there. And I think part of the dismay for some of us is, me anyway, uh, the boat don't always look halfway through the storm or at the other side like it did when we started. But Jesus did supernatural things oftentimes after he made a commitment to them and asked them to make one back to him. Let us go. He's making a commitment to them. I'm going with you. Then he says, let us go to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. He's making a commitment to them. If you'll stay with me like I'm going to stay with you, we'll all end up over there. And um, it's amazing to me how little principles like that in Scripture seem to elude us and just slip right under the door and we don't think about it. But God, I went through all this terrible place. But six months before it happened, I was praying one day, and uh, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I'm about to take you through one of the darkest, deepest, lowest, most horrible experiences of your life. And if you'll remember what I just told you, you'll make it. Well, all I could remember immediately upon hearing that, Brother Whaley, was I'm fixing to go through hell. I'm, I'm fixing to go through the deepest, darkest valley I've ever been in in my life. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you remember everything I said to you. And then it dawned on me that the beginning of what he told me was, I'm about to take you through. And he said, if you'll remember that, remember that I said, forget where you're going, forget what you're about to go through. Just remember that before I let that happen, I've already made a commitment to you that I'm going to see you through it. And I didn't, I didn't, I I registered it, I thought about it, I I logged it away and uh, six months go by and, and I hadn't really thought about it too much and then I wake up one day and everything had changed and I, I began to wonder a week or two in, a month or two in, uh, to what lasted 16 months. I began to ask the Lord a couple of months in, where are you? Why, why is all of this happening? What's going on here? And the Lord very gently reminded me, I told you more than six months ago, six months before this started, I promised you that I would take you through. Now, if you'll hold on to that promise, if you'll stay true to that, this is going to be okay. And so it's, it's amazing to me how many times we find ourselves in a tough spot that we think God don't know anything about. But the truth of the matter is probably before we got there, God made us a promise. It may have come in the, the form of a prophetic word that I'm going to do X, Y, Z in your ministry, or I'm going to use you to do this, or I'm going to bring your children. Your ch- maybe, maybe moms in this room had a dream somewhere along the way and God maybe spoke through a dream or through a man of God and said, your children, I have ordained your children to be used in the kingdom and I'm going to do this through your anointing and I'm going to anoint your children to do this. And then you look up 
And your kids seem like they're 16,000 miles away from the church. They have no concept of God. They're living as though they were never raised in the church. They're acting and conducting themselves in a way that would not at all indicate they have any desire to serve God. But at those moments when we get really exasperated and we begin to feel hopeless, if we'll just remember that somewhere back up the street there, before we got into this dark stretch of highway, God somewhere made you a promise. And it don't matter where your kids go. It don't matter what your health report says. It don't matter what's going on around you, what's happening to everybody else. You've got an eternal word somewhere that preceded where you are now. Somewhere before you got here, God had already established the end of this deal. Somewhere before this valley started, God had already made it clear there's going to be an end to this somewhere down the way. So I've, I've tried to practice this. I haven't really got it mastered yet, but I'm working on it. But I'm trying to get to the place more and more every day that I worry about the details less and less and less. I, I just need to know where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing, and what time do you need me to be there? <clears throat> My place in the kingdom is to simply be obedient to God. Outside of that, none of the rest of this matters to me. I don't care if I've got to get on a plane and fly to Singapore. Now, I don't like flying that long at a time because my back don't like it. And my, my other areas of my body don't like sitting for that long. I just say it that way. But <clears throat> if God tells me to fly to Singapore, I'm going to get on a plane and fly to Singapore. If he tells me to walk to Canada, I guess I'll walk to Canada. The point being, I've got a purpose that supersedes the conditions I find myself in. And we never know what supernatural thing is about to come around the corner. And if we check out in a moment of difficulty and in a moment of hardship and in a moment where everything seems to be contrary to what we thought it was going to be, we're going to miss something supernatural. So I've made my commitment to God that I'm not going to do that. If, if he'll help me at all, I'm not going to check out on the process before the promise gets here. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart. I ought to just stop right there and let's go eat. They should not depart. He commanded them, don't go anywhere. Look at your neighbor and tell them, stay with the ship. Do you think that that ark never stunk? Those animals were eaten. And of course, you know how that all works. Do you, one window in the joint. Are you kidding me? Ain't no ventilation up in that little boat, I promise you. The place stunk. It was nasty. But the stink any day will always be better than what's going on outside the boat. You may not like what it smells like in the boat, but stay in the boat. You may not like who's in the stall next to you in the boat, but stay with the boat. I'm going I'm to stay on it. I'm going to stay on it. I, I'm, I'm going to stay on this boat. I, I, I ain't worried about who's driving it. I'm just, I'm just going to stay on what's on top of the water. 
if we still floating, baby, I don't care who's in the cockpit. If we still floating and flying, I don't care who's driving the machinery. Just keep it in the air till we get to the right runway. That's all I'm worried about. You've got to have a lot of faith to fly. They locked that door up there. You don't know if that dude really knows what he's doing or not or if he's drunk. Ain't no telling how many pilots the purpose of God in the people of God has benefited the pilots on however many flights we've been on. If it wasn't for you being in the storm you're in, the other people in that same storm with you might have already sunk. Maybe God said, I want you to go through this with your family so I don't lose your whole family. I don't know why my kids, your kids, you in the same mess with your children so God's got something supernatural to work with in that storm. You better stay with the stinking boat. You sit around and fuss and gripe all you want to about the condition of the boat, but you better not climb out the one window you got. In fact, stay away from the window. You ain't climbing back in. I just think I'll camp right here for a minute. You better, you better stay with the boat. I ain't talking just about the church. I'm talking about your purpose. You better stick with it. I'm talking about the call of God on your life. You better stick with it. I know it may not have happened yet. I know it may not have happened quite like you. Look at me. I told you I thought I was going to be skinny. I never dreamed I'd have to be shopping in the double X size stuff. I never dreamed I'd buy double X clothes in other parts of the world and they wouldn't fit. That shouldn't happen to anybody. But alas, but regardless of what size I am, and if my wife's watching, I'm going to get chastised about talking about my obesity. But my doctor told me the other day I was obese. I said, the devil's a lie. <laughs> I'm headed to the buffet. I'll show you. think this is obese? I'll be back six months. I'll show you obese. <laughs> You're going to apologize. <laughs> you... <laughs> I got two notches left in this belt I'm wearing right now. This ain't obese. Obese is when the junk you got won't buckle. Isn't that right? Oh, you thick people say amen. That wasn't near enough, but we'll let it slide. (laughs) You better stick with the ship. Let us go over, he said. He didn't tell them what the condition of that boat was going to be when they got over there. He simply made it. He, in fact, he didn't even tell them they'd be in that boat when they got over to the other side. He made no promises about the boat. He made a promise about the journey. He made a promise about the destination. And in, in, in making a promise about the destination, that promise superseded whatever mode of travel he was going to select between start and finish. And it was up to the people who started with him to stay with him. He was going to provide them a promise, not transportation. He was going to provide them with a promise. And he didn't tell them, hang on to the boat. He said, hang on to this word. 
The disciples in the boat with him that one night wake him up. And in my opinion, it's like the greatest insult ever given to God. They wake him up and they say, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? Are you kidding me? Do you really think he's going to let the boat he's in go down? And it's amazing to me how oftentimes we worry over the church when God's not even batting an eye about it. We get to worrying about, well, what about this and what about that and so-and-so this and so-and-so that. And God is looking so far. Everything he ever told us, Sister Naomi, was about down the road somewhere. He was never worried about the boat we were in. Just stay with the promise. God will take care of the boat. The boat's not my problem. And I know, you you just got to believe that Noah and all that bunch, he was Noah probably was a little less bothered by the smell than everybody else was. And you can just bet in the nature of children, I don't care how old they get, I'm 48, my daddy's 84, and I still find myself asking my daddy questions about stuff. Dad, what are we, we going to do about We're building my kids a playhouse. And I've just turned it all over to my dad and my wife. Every time I leave town and come back to my house, there's another project that's been done. I left Friday at 2.45 in the morning and drove to Little Rock. And by 6 o'clock Saturday evening, a, 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 a big wall in, in one of the halls of my house has been shiplapped and painted. I didn't even know what shiplap was. And when my wife sends me a picture, I'm doing a marriage retreat. My wife sends me a picture yesterday about it or Friday night about it. And, 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 and I see this picture. And at first I couldn't, I couldn't remember whose kitchen that was or whose hallway that was. I didn't recognize it. Stuff changes. There's no telling the furniture that she just had to have may be gone when I get home. We, we got rid of a bunch of dishes not long ago because we were going shabby chic. I've learned some junk staying in this boat. (laughs) Shabby chic. What kind of moron wants shabby? (laughs) Who came up with the idea we're gonna, we're gonna turn this method of decoration shabby and make millions off of it? That just shows you the depravity of the rest of us. So we get rid of a bunch of, I thought, nice dishes. And the next thing I know, my wife said, a yard sale. That's what I said. She's all up in somebody's garage sale. I don't know if y'all do that here, but in Arkansas, garage sales are like Mecca. And she comes in with boxes. I'm not talking about boxes. I'm talking about boxes of old, nasty, moth-eaten books. There ain't nobody ever read, and nobody at my house is ever going to read them, and boxes of shabby chic dishes. And she fills the cupboard with those shabby chic dishes. I ain't found a chic part about it yet. Shabby? I've been seeing that since day one. Now look, Scott, isn't that beautiful? Up on top of those cabinets, all those white vases. Rolling pins. Love you. (laughs) Wisdom will teach you things in the boat. (laughs) Not a lot of need for conversation in the boat. Just 
Minimize it. Lovely. Are y'all all right with this? Now, the other day, I'm just starting to warm up to the shabby after a couple of years of shabby. And the other day, I am informed that shabby is on the way out the door. That's what I said, too. <laughs> I said, I beg your pardon. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I, I just, I think I'm tired of that. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> I said, are you serious, baby? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I don't, I mean, I like it. It's, it's pretty and all, but I, I'm ready for something different. How much do you think we'd get for all that furniture in the living room on Craigslist? Well, I don't know. <laughs> the next thing I know, there's farm tables that my dad's building for my wife, showing up all over my house. I got, I got two random picnic tables that just sit in the backyard. Nobody sits on them. Nobody uses them. The children won't even stop and look at them. I got a farm table on the back porch. It's about five feet long. I got one in the kitchen that we, we got rid of a Broyer Hill dining room suit to put this farm table in. Lovely. And it's like seven feet long. And an uncomfortable bench down one side. It's pretty though. Things change. Hello? Stuff changes involuntarily. But I had to lay down an order and a rule at Shelton House, and I told my wife, I said, you can tear up every room in this house, but leave my office alone. And then the southern vernacular, I said, stay out in here. You just got to put your foot down every now and then. Not that it's going to help. I walk in my office one day and I thought we'd been burglarized. Where's all my junk? Oh, well, that tree didn't need to be in there. It looked better so-and-so. And that one looked better in the hall outside our door. Oh. Well, help yourself. Stuff changes. Whether we like it or not, it changes. But I have come to the wise conclusion that just keeping my cake hole shut And going home week after week to somebody that even though I don't understand where she's going with all of her decoration, we're going to shiplap and then we're going to bead and batten or something. I don't know what else we're going to, we're going to go around that corner and we're going to go down this wall and we're going to put this board on top of that sheetrock because it's smooth and it'll paint better. And then we're going to frame that in and we're going to do all that. You know what I'm talking about? Stuff looking like this right here, something similar to this. I don't even, I don't even know what my father and my dad are doing to what I'm paying for, but I've come to the conclusion that whatever they're doing, as long as I get to stay there, long as I get to eat there, long as I get to sleep there, long as my mail gets to keep coming there. And as long as the people there stay there with me, I don't care what they do to it. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? The stink. I started, I, I ended up on all that just saying that my wife and my dad have hijacked my house. I, I get to take care of the yard. You cut that grass. Do you think that Noah's kids didn't have a problem with some of the stuff he was doing? 
Dad, why are you putting the elephants next to the mice? Why would you put the gophers next to the giraffe? We feed one down here and one up there. Why not put all the tall animals together and build one trough across? I mean, that would have made sense, wouldn't it, Brother McGurk? But do you think that Noah built that boat to suit his kids? He never consulted with his children one time when he got to building that boat. He just told them, this is what we're doing. Now, if y'all want to sink, sit here and gripe. Bless your heart. But if you want to float on, if, if you want to survive what's coming. A few years ago, Bishop got on a, on a roll, and some of you that were here actively involved every day in these things, he, he began to talk about the need to redo certain documents and membership requirements to the church because there were certain changes that he felt in his spirit were coming. And I have to be honest with you, when I first heard all this and they started uh, forwarding emails to me and I was trying to read them and keep up with it and, and, and I'm reading all this stuff, after a while one document turns into another and it all just runs together and I couldn't keep it all straight in my head. And there was a time or two I thought, I understand if this ever happens why these kinds of things would be necessary, but I don't understand necessarily why we're doing it right now. It just don't seem like this is a problem, but... The Lord had spoken to Bishop and he began to put into motion what God had told him. We need to shore some things up. We need to bridge some spaces here. We need to fill in some gaps over here. We need to establish some perimeters and some guidelines. And then, lo and behold, the Supreme Court, about two and a half years after all of that was done, the Supreme Court makes a decision that now is affecting the church in a way it never has before. And things are changing. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but things are changing. And all the change in the boat is not always about the boat. Sometimes it's about the upcoming storm. Sometimes it's about the flood that's on the way. And nobody may know about it except the one man that God's talking to for the whole body. And so when that time comes and when those instructions comes, one thing I have learned about Bishop Wright, he never makes a decision about today. What he's deciding on right now is about what it's going to be in the future, how it's going to affect us going forward. And I'll tell you this, I don't know of any decision that I personally know of he's ever made. I don't know of one decision that Bishop Wright has ever made. But I can list you a list of them longer than my left arm of decisions that he's obeyed that God made through him. <clears throat> And what I've learned with Bishop Wright is whether I understand what he's talking about or not. There's times he's speaking English and it sounds Greek, but I'm set, I've sat in that conference room more than once and sat on the phone more than once and listened to him talk and thought, I have no idea what you're even talking about. But if you say that's what's got to happen, that's what's got to happen. I was supposed to be somewhere else this morning preaching. <clears throat> Did a marriage retreat Friday and Saturday and was supposed to stay in Springfield, Illinois and preach this morning and tonight. We were on vacation a week before last. The bishop called me and he said, uh, I, I hate to do this to you on short notice, but I need you to help me in Maryland on Sunday the 22nd. I said, okay. And in my mind, I'm already looking at my calendar and thinking, okay, I've gotta, I'm going to have to make a phone call. And he said, where, where are you supposed to be? And I told him, and he said, man, I'm really sorry. Just try to explain to them. And I said, bishop, just no, no disrespect, but I'm not explaining anything to anybody. I don't have to explain to them why I'm not going to be there. You're my pastor. 
you're my bishop. I trust God and I trust God in you and I trust you. And if you say you need me in Maryland, all I'm going to do is tell that guy, you'll have to find somebody else to preach for you on Sunday. I'll do the marriage retreat Friday and Saturday, and then I'm getting on a plane and flying to Maryland because I trust you. And he just started laughing. He said, okay, well, I appreciate you doing it. <clears throat> the point I'm making to you is I have, I have a captain in my life. I have a bishop in my life, and I'm going to trust him. Has he always told me what I wanted to hear? No. But has he always told me what I needed to hear? Absolutely. And every time he's given me instructions and pointed me in a certain direction and I haven't understood it, and matter of fact, hadn't even liked it a lot of times, what I have found out is if I'll just stay with the ship, if I will just not depart from the path, if I'll stay with the purpose, stay with the plan, God every single time has done something supernatural at the end of it. Matter of fact, not just at the end of it, but through the process of it. Always. <clears throat> Did Noah's kids appreciate that boat? Not until it started raining. It's going to rain. And when the Supreme Court did what it did, I was very thankful that Bishop had done what he did. I better get a little bit more of an amen than that. <clears throat> Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Don't depart. All right, if I can't leave, what, I, what am I doing now? Wait. How long? That, that word self-explanatory, and it encompasses every question. Just wait. <clears throat> None of us like to be told we can't make a change. None of us like to be told that we can't do what we want to do. None of us like to, we'll submit. I appreciate submission, and I'm going to stay submitted, but i got to tell you, it's not always easy. Now, Bishop didn't tell me to talk to you about this. I didn't know I was talking about this till I read that verse of Scripture. So what I thought I was talking about today, we'll try to get to it, I think, but just hang on a minute. <clears throat> No, Scott, you can't do this your way. Yeah, but my way sure makes a whole lot more sense to me. Well, that's just proof it's not my purpose. That's just proof I'm not in it. If what you would do was ever allowed, if God let me do what I wanted to do, what he intends to do would never come to pass. Never. In fact, if you can figure out how to make what you want to do happen, probably in God. Because when God starts giving instructions, they don't make sense. Matter of fact, every time God's ever made a major change in my life and, and direction of ministry or whatever, and I've tried to explain that to other people, my family, whoever, I have always been looked at like I was falling off a cabbage wagon. Nobody can. When you, when, when, when you left Maui and came here, it didn't make sense. Okay, leave Maui and go to the West Coast, but really all the way to the East Coast? From Maui, what's that, like 25,000 miles or something? <clears throat> it don't make sense. And sometimes it will not make sense until it's all said and done. And sometimes even when it's said and done, it don't make sense. All you know is you have peace with where you are. It may not be easy, and being easy and having peace is not the same thing. 
There have been a lot of times what I was going through wasn't easy and it felt like I was fighting the devil on every turn, but I had peace being in that. I knew I was in a storm. I knew the decision I'd made, Brother Joel, and put me in the middle of a storm. But I also knew that I did what God told me to do, and by doing what God told me to do, I ended up in a mess that I personally would have avoided if I had been given the option. But I obeyed God, and the instructions God gave me said, turn left here. I turned left here, and I'm in the middle of a hurricane, but there was a beautiful day on the other side of the street. It doesn't mean being in the will of God doesn't mean everything's going to work out just like I thought it was going to. It don't mean it's going to be easy. It don't mean it's going to be comfortable. Matter of fact, oftentimes the will of God is going to include a lot of things that are uncomfortable. You will suffer persecution. That's what the book says. So that just stands to reason that if I obey God, there's going to be some measure of discomfort in the fact that I'm doing what God's called me to do. But if I will stay with the boat... If I'll stick with the plan, if I'll... Well, that's what Secret Agent Oso says. It's all part of the plan, folks. If you don't have children, you're missing out on some great wisdom. It's all part of the plan. And, and, and as you well know, God never reveals the entirety of the plan to anybody. He basically is going to tell us step by step by step what's coming. What, do it now. And there's not going to be a lot of advance notice about, okay, well, we got six months to, pl- no, no, we're turning left now. When the GPS tells you to do something and you think the GPS is wrong, which by the way, I changed the voice on Siri. I changed it. That woman telling me where to go and I'm going to be bossed around. You're going to have a voice similar to mine. (laughs) My pressure kept going up. But Siri doesn't tell me like every turn in the trip, the minute I turn those coordinates on. It's basically, you'll have an exit or two maybe ahead, but mostly it's turn by turn. And some GPSs, the, the advertisement on them is turn by turn directions. Yet we want to implement on God that he's got to give us the whole map. We'll spend thousands of dollars on technology that's only going to tell us one turn at a time. And then we'll withhold from God when he won't tell us the whole trip. But wait. Look at your neighbor and tell him, just wait. Now, I know how hard that is because I don't like doing it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you something else that I've never really thought about before right now. I don't think God likes telling us to wait. I really don't believe he enjoys having to tell us to wait. And I think there are times, Brother Evans, he tells us stuff that he almost regrets telling us. Okay, I'll prove it. How many of you have children? How many of you have ever regretted telling them we're going so and so? Uh-huh. Why? Because they just won't shut up about it. Daddy, are we really going to see Moses at sight and sound? Yes. Daddy, are we really? Yes. Daddy, are you lying? No, I don't lie to you. Are you teasing me, Daddy? No. We're really going, Daddy? 
Eliana, Erica. Erica came along and we ended up with an echo in the house. Daddy, daddy, are we, are we, going, going, do, do. Whatever Eliana says, Erica echoes it, just boom, boom, boom. Eliana, we're going to sight and sound. Erica, we're going to sight and sound. Jennifer, don't ever tell them more than five minutes before we're going to take them somewhere. And I kind of wonder sometimes if maybe God tells us stuff and then he's like, uh, will you please just give it a rest? Eliana wanted a little bicycle. Daddy, can I have a bicycle for my birthday last year? Yes, honey, we'll get you a bicycle. If that's what you want, we'll get you a bicycle. It was like two months before her birthday. And every day, Daddy, can I still, can we go to Walmart and look at them? Can we go to the store and look at bicycles? No. Well, why? Because we're not buying them today. And then you go in Walmart and the little cherub disappears and you go to looking for her in the Walmart and she's back there at the bicycles and you find a little four-year-old hide and there she is and she's found a bicycle similar to the one she wants. The one she really wants is hanging on the rack. She can't get to that. Praise God. She gets the one she can get and she's trying to ride it and then she wants video. And I got video on my phone of my little cherub riding a bicycle in Walmart, which I'd have got a whipping for doing. Things change. <laughs> I thought all them paddlings were unnecessary as a child. I've come to the conclusion, more is better. <laughs> Things change. You tell a child, wait. See how that works out for you. There ain't a child that ever breathed fresh air down their throat that ever just did that and never said another word about it. Ever. Never will be a child that just patiently waits. Well, mine, I know. Yours are special. But wait. Wait. Don't make any moves and wait. Go and get under the mulberry bushes. For what? Battle. When are we going to fight? When I tell you. Well, when's that going to be? Don't worry about it. We're going to wait for a rustling in the mulberry bushes. Do you think that those enemy soldiers walked past them and, and probably at any other point in time, maybe there were some military strategists in the crowd that looked at it and said, now would be a good time to attack? And they, they start murmuring among themselves and talking, hey, we've, we've got them, right? They have no idea we're here. They're, they're vulnerable, right? I know it looks like an optimum time to make this move, but... Uh, we can't do anything until that wind starts blowing in the top of these trees. Wait. What are we waiting on? A word, a signal, the commandment to move. Why? Because it's going to be the perfect time. The circumstances may not be perfect in my mind. What I'm looking at may not make a whole lot of sense. What I'm seeing play out in front of me may not make any sense at all. But if I trust the nature and the character of God... I've got no other recourse but to trust him and wait. I'm not going to move left or right. I'm not going to jump out of cover. And if they had jumped out of the cover they were in, they may have been slaughtered. Because while they're looking down at the enemy passing in front of them, you have no idea what may be behind you trying to find you. Sometimes God tells you to wait. It's not for the lack of your ability to do. But it's because the enemy's trying to find you. And God's trying to hide you. And preserve you. And prevent an unnecessary battle. 
And sometimes God tells us, sit down. I saw a sign in the window of a car not long ago going down the interstate at about 90 miles an hour when he passed me. And he had a little sign on the window, a little yellow yield looking sign. It said, sit, get in, sit down, and shut up. I thought, I need one of them on every window and two on the back. Get in, sit down, and shut up. Now, if my little children are hearing this, I, that's not a nice word to say. But I think sometimes God would like to tell us that. Get in, sit down, and be quiet. Trust me. I've never failed you before. I've never abandoned you before. I've never asked you to do one thing that I didn't have a reason for it. I've never asked you to give up one thing but what I had ten other things in store for you down the road. Whatever you got to give up to obey God today, I promise you God's got at least five times that waiting on you somewhere down the road. If you'll just stay with the boat, endure the stink, and ride the storm out in safety, I promise you when it's all over with, you'll have a testimony and an awareness of God that you didn't have in the beginning. And God will take you the long way around so many times. You'll be looking at this like, you know, the, the best route is just a straight line between two points. But the Lord, and there's a flat road this way. But the Lord may take you over the mountain instead of through the tunnel they cut in it. Well, why would he do that? Maybe he knows that tunnel's going to collapse. Maybe he knows the shortcut everybody else came up with really isn't all that beneficial. And maybe he knows I've got enough flesh still living that it's going to take a little bit longer trip to get me dead enough to be able to participate in his plan. Wait for the promise. What are we waiting for? First thing we want to know is how long. And when he won't tell us that, then, well, what am I waiting on? Because we want to make sure that what we're waiting on is worth waiting on. And everybody in here will ask that question. How long have I got to wait? And what is it I'm waiting on exactly? For the promise of the Father. Now that right there ought to sew the whole deal up for every one of us. I'm waiting on the promise of the Father. Whether I know what that is in detail or not really isn't the issue. I just need to know who's issuing the promise. I can follow the instructions if I know the promises from God. Which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water... But ye shall, it's a definitive statement, you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Then you go to chapter 2, the promise there in chapter 1. Chapter 2, then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized, every one of you. The Holy Ghost has already been poured out. <clears throat> there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. Then on further in the book of, uh, in the second chapter, he explains what happened and tells all the doubters how to get the same thing that just happened to them in the upper room. Verse 4, they were all filled. Everybody say, they were all filled. Everybody say, the promise came to pass. Look at your neighbor and tell them it was worth waiting for. The greatest supernatural event that had ever happened to mankind happened after the people of God waited. He could have done it when he wanted to. He could have poured the Holy Ghost out in the temple at 12 years of age. But there was a time that had to be fulfilled. There was a plan that had to be stayed with. And when the time came, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Who was all filled? 
everybody that stayed in the upper room. Everybody that started out in the upper room did not benefit from what happened in the upper room. There were more that started than what ended up. And on a Sunday night shouting service when God prophetically gives us direction, it's easy for all of us to jump up and say, my God, I'm with it. But you, you let then that be followed up with, but wait. Wait a minute, I thought we were in revival. I thought there was a season moving now. There is. And he's stirring our faith up so he can speak. Every, every time God moves in our churches, it's not so he can do something right now. Sometimes God has to bring a reviving of the saints, a reviving of the body, so he can speak something prophetic to us. Brother Morgan's been here for months. He's been speaking prophetically. He's been stirring the faith of the body up. You've prayed more people through this year by this time than you have in a while by this time. More people have gotten the Holy Ghost at this point this year than they did last year or the year before by this time. So there's an indicator that the, hey, the promise is worth waiting for. The promise is a minimum of 500. If I remember correctly, that number's been on the screen every service when Brother Morgan's here. 500. We're expecting, expecting at least 500. But if we're not careful, we'll get dismayed and discontent if it don't happen right now. Why wouldn't God do it in this season of revival? Because sometimes God has to get us into a place of a revived condition so we have an elevated spirit of faith and gift of faith operating so he can speak something to us that we'll actually believe. Some, do, do you really think that in a carnal, half-dead condition, God can speak prophetically to us and we'll receive it like we will when our faith is about ten octaves above that? When, when you're looking around and he's confirming with people getting the Holy Ghost and different things taking place and he's confirming what he's saying, I, the gift of faith is operating. In every service and every week, our faith goes higher and higher. And promise after promise after promise keeps coming across this pulpit. And then, Brother Morgan's not here. And Bishop's not here. And Pastor David Wright's not here. And Pastor Joel Wright's not here. And this one's not here, and that one's not there, and these brethren are not here, and where's everybody at, and what's going on, and it don't make any difference where everybody's at and what's going on. What did God say to me? I'm not shouting about what he's done only. I'm shouting about what he said. I'm shouting about what he promised me. Hey, I promise you, if the day-to-day -day stuff was what made me serve God, there's some days I'd quit. And you all sanctified playing like you would. Uh -huh. But he don't roll the water back every day. He don't ride his finger across the heavens every day. He doesn't speak every day like he does some days. He don't get as close to me some days as he did the day before. There are some days, Brother Barr, I can't even feel like I find him. I just have to operate on the fact that I know him. But when I don't have a fresh word every single day, when there's not a fresh rhema every day, and I don't have those goosebumps, and I don't feel what I felt, it doesn't change the last word that I got from him. It doesn't negate my promises that I've got from him. It doesn't change anything between me and him. My relationship with God is not about what he has done. It's about what he's doing going to continue to do my trust in him is based on what I understand about his character 
I don't need him to give me a nugget miracle every day. I don't have a problem with him, but I don't need one of these little nugget miracles every day to keep me following crumbs. I've got a word that I can't get out of my head. I've got a word that echoes through the corridors of my mind and my spirit every single day. I remember what Tom Barnes told me. I remember what my bishop prophesied to me. They told me, I remember a word standing on the platform in Iron Mountain, Georgia at Bishop Knight's church doing a a manifest meeting down there with Bishop Wright. And he walked up and I'm standing behind the pulpit about to speak. And he walked up and stood beside me and began to prophesy in my ear. And every single thing he prophesied, I knew it was a word from God. The majority of it has come to pass, but there's two or three things that have not yet come to pass. And that's what keeps me going. I am not running this race, Sister Owens, based on what has come to pass. I find my strength based on what has not yet happened. If if your walk with God is predicated on what he's done for you, Memory lane gets long. And the longer memory lane gets, the harder it is to remember what he did back there. But when you've got a promise that's attached to the character of God, and you know that in his character, what he has said he will do, he will do. And the longer it goes, my faith just gets stronger in the promise. Why? Because God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he says it, he'll do it. It don't matter how long it takes. It don't matter what I've got to go through to get to it. If God said it, he'll do it. He cannot, he will not, has never, and will never lie to you. And if he promised me something, It don't matter how many Egyptian airplanes go down. It don't matter how many terrorist bombs go off. The people of God can walk freely through the street. We can get on any plane we want to, and it's going to be all right. And if they have tried to sabotage it, God will override it, and you'll get where you're going, not because of what he's done, but because of what he said he will do and has not yet done. Some of you have got some promises that have not yet come to pass and you ought to be shouting your face off every single church service not about what God's done but about what God is going to do but has not yet done. I know a woman that lived with cancer in her body for over 20 years. She asked me one day, can you tell me when I'm going to die? I said, absolutely, I can tell you the very day it's coming. When? I said, when your purpose in this world is over and the plan of God for you is done and God has achieved through your life everything he wants to do, that day you're going home, but not until then. I don't care if there's cancer in every organ in your body. The promise and the power of that promise will supersede whatever storm you find yourself going through. not here because of what he's done. I'm thankful. It's an encouragement. It's a faith builder. But it's not what I'm committed to. I am not committed to our history. I'm loyal to it. But my commitment is to our destiny. My commitment is to our future. My commitment is to our promise. Not not the answers I've already got, Sister Owens. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Not them. What I'm committed to is what's still yet to come. 
I get up in the morning looking forward to every day. It may be, I, I get up slower now than I did 20 years ago, brother. I, I do, I admit it, but I, I try to look athletic and I spring around. But the load on the springs only allows for this much leap. I used to be able to prance like a young deer throughout the house. Things have changed. And it doesn't matter to me if I could run the 40-yard dash in 3.8 seconds or not. I can't even think 40-yard dash in 3.8 seconds. I can't say 40-yard dash in 3 seconds. It don't matter how fast I can run. It don't matter how tall I can jump, how high I can jump. It doesn't matter how much weight I can bench press. It doesn't matter how many miles I have flown. In the last 15 years, my travel in the kingdom's business alone is over right at about a million miles. And it don't matter if the next 15 years is another million miles. It doesn't matter if it's two million miles before I see it come to pass. There are days when I wonder, what in the world am I doing sitting on this plane? And I remember what Bishop Wright said to me in Iron Mountain. Georgia. I remember what Brother Howard walked up five minutes later and said to me a second time verbatim every word that Bishop Wright said out of the mouth of two or three witnesses and then as that time has passed another time has come, I've had to reference those two words and remember God made me some promise that has not yet come to pass and until that happens, I'm not going to waver in my commitment to God I may not run as fast as I used to and I may not shout as often as I used to but I promise I promise you, if you'll be patient with me, I'll come back around. Because I am tethered to something that's greater than what I'm going through. I'm harnessed to something that's greater than what I'm going through. I'm being pulled along by something that's more powerful than what's trying to pull me down. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. And then he told them, you can't leave and you got to wait. What are we waiting on? The promise of the Father. That's in chapter 1. Chapter 2, the promises poured out. They were all filled. Who was all? All who obeyed the instructions of chapter 1. All who stayed and waited. They were excited to be in that upper room on day one. Their faith was at an all-time high. How else would you get hundreds of people in a room with no indoor plumbing? No central air conditioning, which would be essential to me. I'd have to have some air. If I ever pastor another church, we're going to have about a five-ton unit put in. It's going to have two vents. One behind the pulpit and one right by my chair. And y'all can sweat and be happy if you want to, but Chunky is going to be cooled off. <laughs> oh, my God. I went to sleep on five-hour, five-and-a-half, six-hour flight the other night. Flew all night. And I had hand-picked my seat. Perfect seat. But in the airport, I started a visual perusal. And I'm looking for all the thick people like me. And I'm praying against it, Brother Joel. I bind that in Jesus. No, sir. And I'm not pointing at you because I'm just, I'm just pointing. 
Let's go to the restaurant. <laughs> but the thing is, I know there's people looking at me saying, oh God, please don't let me sit by that man. And I get on this exit row seat. It's perfect. I've got leg room. It's where I wanted to be. I reach up. I turn that air conditioner on. We fixing to fly all night long and I'm on sleep and everything's lovely. And, and nobody's sitting here and the plane's about ready to shut the door and this couple comes on and she's about as big around as that water bottle. He's about the same size. So it didn't matter who sat next to me. It was going to be like an empty row. They could have sat in the same seat and had belt lift. <clears throat> so I was happy. And I thought there's nothing that can ruin this experience tonight. That air conditioner's cold. It's dark. I'm exhausted. It's sleepy time. Got my little earpieces going and music playing and I'm just about to drift off. We ain't even shut the door yet. And that thing, it was that woman. She's sitting beside me and she got, looked like a dog over in that seat just going round and round and round trying to get her little bed made out over there. And I looked at her and she caught my eye because I, I stared at her till she looked. <laughs> I've, I've gotten real ugly, Brother Joe, when I'm flying. I, I've just gotten to the point my Christianity is almost in the overhead bin. And I looked at her until she looked at me and she stopped and she settled down in that chair. I knew it wasn't turbulence because we ain't left nowhere. I look over. I don't know how she had done it. But a half of her body was over the armrest in my seat. And it's one of them solid armrests. And I'm thinking, I bought everything from here and unless you're about to come out of your pocket with some money get out of my seat I put the elbow to her in Jesus name I did it I was headed somewhere and I wasn't going to let her bother my trip Sometimes you just got to make a believer out of the devil. I'm not saying she was a devil, but what I am telling you is, after contact with certain points of my right arm, we never had that problem again. That settled the issue. Some of us just need to settle the issue with the adversary. I got on this plane. I paid a price to be in this seat. And you are not going to make my trip miserable. You are not going to make me get off this plane. I had somewhere I wanted to be. That trip was taking me home. And there wasn't nobody on that plane about, except for an air marshal, about to make me get off of that plane. You got to know who has authority. <laughs> I'd made my mind up. I bought a ticket. I'm invested in this deal. I've got a reason to be on this plane. This plane has a destination. That destination is where I'm headed. And nothing and nobody's going to deter me. I've made my mind up when I joined up with this thing at nine years old. And God filled me with the Holy Ghost. At that point in my life, I was committed to something I didn't even understand. Matter of fact, I still don't fully understand it. But I do have a little bit more knowledge than I did at nine. And every year, Brother Joel and I have been more and more committed. Now, there have been times that I wondered. I, I, not long ago, I called Bishop. We were talking. And I said, I just... 
I wonder sometimes, or maybe I text him, I said, I just wonder if, if I'm making any difference. I wonder if I'm, I'm thinking about all the traveling that I do and I'm away from my family a third of the year, literally over 125 days a year minimum, I'm away from my family. And I wonder, is it worth it? What, what's the deal? And then Bishop, you know how he is, he can just ground you, just boom, pow. He said, that's not your problem. You're not supposed to make a difference. You're supposed to obey God and do what God's called you to do. I was needing some sympathy. I was needing the bishop to say, I understand, Scott. I, I know what you're going through, son. I, I, I'm praying for you every day. I, God's going to bless you. And re-. He didn't say nothing about God's going to honor you. God's going to reward you. God's going to bless He just told me, you've got a reason to do what you do, and you better stay true to the reason you're doing what you're doing. He didn't promise me it was going to get easier. He didn't promise me that I was going to like it. He didn't promise me none of that. I've gotten off of planes and left the airport and went straight to my chiropractor's office. Walked in. He starts adjusting my back and he says, roll over. What? What have you done to yourself? What are you talking about? You've got two ribs out of place. Where have you been? What have you done? I was sitting on a plane next to a man that I finally asked the brother, I need to know what your dimensions are. I wanted to know. He was huge. I looked at him, I said, boy, you huge. He laughed. He's a uh, football player at the University of Arkansas. He was six foot six, and he weighed just a few pounds short of 400. Me and him sitting in the front two seats, row one, on a regional Delta jet. When I got out of my seat, it sounded like... God bless you. <laughs> that may have been the day I checked with Bishop about why I'm doing this. <laughs> no sympathy. I keep sitting by stinky, nasty, sweaty people on planes. I keep driving. I keep leaving my family. Thursday night, as I was packing, getting ready for bed, Eliana, Erica's already asleep. Eliana's sitting in there on our bed. I'd pack something, she'd take it out. I'd pack it, she'd take it out. Eliana, lay down and watch your iPad while I'm packing. And I look up and she's crying, I don't want you to go. I said, baby, I have to. Now I'm going to cry. Why do you have to? And my wife comes in, she sees I'm verklempt and I'm all choked up, so she starts trying to step in and help. And Well, baby, Daddy, that's what Daddy does. He's a man of God, and he has to travel, and he has to. But why does he have to go? Well, because Jesus wants him to. Well, I'm not happy with Jesus. <laughs> he neither. <laughs> why can't he send somebody else? And I laid down and I laid there for two hours. From 10.30 to 12.15, I laid there. 
asking Jesus the same questions my child would ask me. Why can't you send somebody else? Why do I always have to leave? Glamorous, this preaching thing? No. I got up at 2.15, got ready, left. And as I left, I pray over my family. My wife walks me out. Pray over my kids, kiss them. They're asleep. They don't know nothing. And the enemy starts in. You won't live to come back. You better remember what she smells like laying here in this bed because you won't ever see her again. You better remember how soft that skin was on her cheek where you kissed her because you'll never see her again. My wife said something to me and I couldn't even talk because I was choked up about to cry. And I don't want her and the kids to see that all the time. Sometimes I can't avoid it. But then as I walked out of my bedroom through the living room to the kitchen, I remembered that night in Atlanta on the platform at Bishop Knight's church when Franklin Howard and Bishop Wright, I remembered a phone call from Brother David Chatwell and promise after promise. I remembered years of sitting in Tom Barnes's office while the old prophet poured into me, prophesied to me things that have come to pass, but more importantly, the things that have not come to pass. And my courage and my strength rallied And I said, the devil is a lie. I'll smell that child again Monday. They will be crawling all over me when I walk in that door Monday evening about 7.15. They'll be screaming, daddy, daddy. Jumping up and tearing pockets off my shirt. I don't care. I got money I ain't even spent yet. Let them tear it up. That was a joke. I'm not doing this because of the fun of it. Because if it was just based on that, I'd, I'd do something else. But Nielsen, I've got a promise. God has shown me things that have not yet come to pass. I have a commission. I have instructions. I have commandments from God to do things. That, and if, if I will, if I'll just not depart from Jerusalem, if I'll just keep showing up in that upper room, If I'll just keep praying, Brother Barr, there's coming a day that what I'm waiting for, the promise of God, it's going to come to pass. One day, my 84-year-old daddy, and he's closer right now than he's ever been before, I'm believing it more every day I'm gone to get a phone call that my daddy has prayed through. He informed my wife the other day, we were in church, Brother, uh, who was preaching? I don't even remember. He was preaching. He said, ask the person beside you if they've been baptized, and My dad responds to my wife differently than he has ever responded to me. My wife and my two girls have got him wrapped around their fingers. And they he goes to the altar now with them. He'll he'll go to that altar with my wife and girls, and they don't give him an option. They just take him by the hand, and here we go. We're praying, Papa. And the man of God said, ask that person beside you if they've been baptized. And my wife looked up at him, and she said, Dad, have you ever been baptized in Jesus' name? He looked at her. He said, yeah, I have. When I was a teenager, they baptized me in Jesus' name. That's how I got baptized. He said, but that's been a while, hadn't it? Well, to me, that fueled my fire. When I heard my dad, that's the first. I heard my father pray two months ago for the first time in 48 years of living. I heard my daddy pray. We were sitting at the table, and, and it was one of the girls turned to pray. We were eating with mom and dad that night, and 
I think Eliana was supposed to pray and she had stage fright and Erica was just, Erica was nearly in tongues already because she was ready to eat and she didn't understand the delay. And while we're trying to get Eliana to pray, my dad reached out, he's never done this, reached out and took me by my right hand, took my daughter by her hand and waited for everybody to take hands and my daddy started praying. He didn't just pray some now I lay me down to sleep jump. My daddy prayed, said, I've been waiting 48 years to hear my father pray. And just a few weeks after that, he acknowledges to my wife, I was baptized in Jesus' name. Hey, I didn't realize how close we were to the promise that God gave me about. I feel the Holy Ghost. My dad is closer than I thought he was. Your children are closer than you think they are. Your promise is closer to you than you think it is. Why don't everybody get on your feet for a minute and just worship God for a couple of minutes? Would you do that? Just get up on your feet, open your mouth, clap your hands, whatever you want to do. But give God some acknowledgement that, hey... I'm not leaving Jerusalem. I'm not getting out of the kingdom. I'm not throwing the towel in yet. I'm going to stay with the ship. I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to ride this thing out. Come on, you need to think about what it is you've been believing for. You need to think about that child you've been waiting on. I don't care what everybody else told you. I don't care what your child told you. They're closer than you think they are. They're closer than you think they are. That miracle you're waiting on is probably right around the next corner. Don't give up yet. Don't walk off yet. We're closer. Look at your neighbor and tell them we're closer than we think we are. We're closer to obtaining what we've been pursuing than we think we are. I'm not going to quit reaching for Him because one day I'm going to get a hold of something. Am I happy every day? Happy as I can be? Can I find times that I go and it seems like it's been a while since God's done a miracle for me? Yeah. But when I can't remember the last miracle, I can't get away from the last promise. I am tied to something that's powerful enough to pull me through every valley, every ditch, every hard place, every trial, every loss, everything I've had to go through in my life and that you've had to go through in your life. The reason we're still here is because we are still tied to a prophetic word. We're still tethered to something that's more powerful and supernatural than what we've been through. I know you've suffered. I know you've had anguish. I know you've had loss. But hear me when I tell you and remind you one more time. You are attached to something that's more powerful than what you're going through. I think about that Andre Crouch song, Take Me Back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you, where I first believed you. Take me back to the place where my faith was at an all-time high. And when I get there, remind me of what you told me. Remind me of what you promised me. Remind me of where you said we were going. you've got family that's unsaved you ought to be in this altar right now reminding God you made me a promise 
You're the one that gave me a dream about my son. You're the one that gave me a dream about my daughter. You're the one that gave me a dream about my finances. You're the one that made me a promise about my health. You're the one that made us a promise as a church about where we were going and what we were going to do and what we were going to be. And Lord, you made the promise, but I'm not going to let it go. You're the one that made it, but I'm not going to let go of it. I'm not going to forget it, and I'm not going to let you forget it. Yeah. your testimony in prayer today.
want to want to read something to you before we go. It was prophesied in chapter one. It was done in chapter two. Now the result of it is in chapter three. The promise was given in one. The promise was received in two. And the promise was manifested in chapter three. Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried who they laid daily, everybody say every day, at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asking alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look upon us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. That promise was not just that the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out, but the promise also included this. You shall be endued with power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. God is not just taking us to a place as an individual or as a church where we're just going to keep doing what we've done every day. They laid this man crippled every day at the gate of the temple. The church had walked past him for years, incapable of doing anything for him. They didn't have the power to do anything for him. But the chapter after the Holy Ghost is poured out, Peter, without even understanding what exactly it was in fullness that he had, sees this sick man differently than he had ever seen him before. And he said, you know what? Maybe he had given him money before, Brother Barr. I don't know. Maybe he had given him alms before. I don't know. But this day, Peter said, today I'm broke. I'm a little bit busted today. But what I have is something I've never had. Maybe he had been broke before, Sister Owens. He'd walked past that lame man before and said, Dude, I'm sorry, I don't have anything to give you. I wish I had some money. If I did, I'd give it to you. But today, something's different. I still don't have any money. I'm going to tell you that up front. I can't give you what you're here asking for. I can give you what you have no idea to ask for. When you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God gave you power. To not just make promises, but to make good on them. He gave you power to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. He gave you power to pray with people in the altar that need something from God. And when you touch their head, when you make contact with them, when you pray for them, even though every promise God's made you hadn't come to pass, you've got power right now to do things that you don't even know you're capable of doing. And the person you're praying for don't even know to ask for it. You understand what I'm telling you? You're more powerful than you realize. All of us are. We were promised a promise. We were given a promise. Now it's time for us to manifest the promise while we're waiting on the next one. Don't just sit idle in the church waiting to see what's around the next bend. Be busy right here where we are. At this spot in the road, be doing something. Be laying hands on somebody. 
No, my kid's not saved yet, but bless God, till they get here, I'm going to pray for yours. No, my body hadn't been healed yet, but till it gets healed, I'm going to pray for yours. No, my finances haven't recovered from the recession yet, but until they do, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do everything I can to be a blessing to somebody else. Don't wait on everything to align and all the stars to be perfect. You've got something in you that needs to be manifested in the kingdom and in the world you live in every single day. So while you wait, manifest the promise you've already received. Will you do that? Lift your hands one more time. Brother Whittington, do you want <clears throat> Lift your hands one more time, Lord. In Jesus' name. Lord, we're reminded again today, and I, I, I think I can say this confidently. Nobody here is wanting to check out, but we are reminded again today that it's worth waiting for. Lord, I don't know whenever promise you've made me is going to come to pass. I don't know. And yes, I'll admit it, sometimes I get weary waiting. But Lord, I'm making a commitment to you. I'm going to commit myself to waiting on those promises. And while I'm waiting, I'm going to lay hands on the lame. I'm going to lay hands on the sick and the halt and the maimed and the blind and the deaf and the dumb and the dead. Lord, I'm going to pray for everybody else just like I want somebody praying for me. Because even though I have not obtained every promise you've made me, the manifestation of supernatural power from heaven should be taking place in me on a daily basis. The gifts of the Spirit ought to be working through me and in me every single day. Supernatural apostolic ministry ought to be taking place in me every single solitary day. So Lord, I'm committing to you that I'm going to manifest you. I'm going to reveal the power of the Holy Ghost in me every day while I wait to obtain those other promises. And in the process of all of this, the kingdom is going to expand. The kingdom is going to grow. People are going to be set free. People are going to be delivered. People are going to be brought out of darkness and bondage. And Lord, even as frustrating as it may be, we're going to continue on in what you have brought us to and through. In Jesus' name, I plead the blood over these precious people today. Over the body of Antioch, I pray now that you'll cover and seal the word. Stir our faith and our gifts, our anointing and apostolic power and ministry. In Jesus' name, let it be so. In Jesus' name, go in peace with the Lord. We'll see you tonight.